this morning for the chance to gather as your church, as a body of believers. I pray that we would be encouraged through the faith uh, that we share together in you. I pray that we would be challenged appropriately through the truths of your word, that we would be strengthened to please you, that you would be honored by our time together. I pray for these, my friends, that you'd keep them attentive, that where there is need for correction or strengthening, that there would be that. For those here that are yet unbelievers, that you would um, open up their eyes, that they would see the truth of the gospel, that you would um, save them. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be spending a bit of time uh, in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, but I just want to look at one verse to kick off our time. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. And the context is what we'll be looking at, but this is, this is kind of the, the crux of where a lot of my attention has been over the past couple of months. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So I'm, I'm sure, I would hope, I've got the sticker, that you know by now my family and I are, are going to be part of the Gospel Hope Church plant. Um, and there's a, there's a bulletin thing over there with uh, prayer guides, and I would be strongly encouraged myself if those who remember and, and can could grab one of those and be looking over those week by week to continue to pray for us. And I, as, as we've considered, right, this was a, a bit of a process for us, like the, we've known that the church was going to be planted for quite some time, um, but I'm going to be honest, like it, it has been uh, difficult for my wife and I as we've considered this, we, we love this church. I've spent my time, when I grew up, I grew up in an evangelical free church, um, so it was congregational-led. For a while, my family and I, um, when I was growing up, started a family-integrated church, so it was like the dads were the elders. It was very strange and quite unbiblical. Uh, that eventually fell apart, and then we joined a, a, a little bit more traditional Baptist church, but it was a little bit weak um, and has struggled over the years, so a lot of my time like in church has been a bit like what what is church what am i supposed to to do in church what is the purpose what's the point and we finally found like uh 7 years ago we found Grace Community Church and it was a tremendous breath of fresh air it has been um instrumental transformative in the life of myself and my family we're so so grateful for this church and the way that it's taught us and so the, the prospect of leaving to start a new church, right, it's not, we're not abandoning our theology, we're taking all the things that we've learned and grown in and been trained in and transplanting that, moving that to uh, North Knoxville. And it's, it's funny when you say church plant, um, I've spoken with some of my colleagues at work, they're like, what's a church plant? Is that a special religious plant? Like, do you water it? Do you carry it? No, this is, this is different. This is not a, an actual vegetation. This is, this is an actual gathering of people going somewhere else to take what we know to be true and share it with people who don't have access, right? Uh, 45 minutes is a long way to drive. An hour and a half is a really long way to drive. And so we need to have churches that spread out. We have more. And so that requires that people leave the place that they love, requires that they be strong 
and go and plant somewhere else. But this has been painful and it's been difficult. Um, and so I've done a lot of thinking and I've done a lot of evaluating of my own emotions and my own desires, the things that are easy for me and why are they easy, the things that are hard for me and why are they difficult and how do I evaluate, not just like how to make decisions, but even underneath the decisions, the, the emotions that we have, the th- why are things so painful? What is it underlying the things that feel good and feel bad and how am I to think about that? How am I to evaluate my own emotions? And this verse, is, this, this verse has been instrumental, but also incredibly painful to think about this concept of those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we've had to, we've had to dig deeply into our motivations, uncovering really a, a sin of a dark and a different kind, where it's not just the things we do, but the things that we're thinking and why we are thinking those things. This is a much more painful and much more difficult thing to think about because it's dealing with your character, like who you actually are before you begin to behave, before you begin to think, the things that are programmed into you. So having to think about that. So a a sin before just bad actions or behaviors. It's the worldly motivations, this concept of the flesh. It's a sin of deep-seated unbelief. That we don't, a lot of the things that we do or behave according to really start to, do we actually believe in heaven and, and the rewards there? Or are we building a life out of wood and hay and straw rather than gold, silver, and precious stones? These, it's so critically important that you be able to evaluate your emotions because you're going to make excuses for yourself if you don't. You're going to try and just like correct your behavior and you're going to try and think rightly without fundamentally changing why you think the things that you think. You're just going to try and say, oh, I shouldn't do these things, but it's okay for me to think these things, to be selfish, to be self-seeking, to not really prioritize heavenly rewards. And so you'll, you'll be corrective in your behavior and really fight against that, and that's good. But if you don't, if you're not willing to dig down deeply into your actual heart motivations, this idea in Galatians, again, crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires, not its behaviors, its actual passions and desires, the the thing that lies underneath your behavior. You need to dig that up and you need to crucify it. It's a very violent picture that it's giving to us. Not just a putting away, not just a setting aside, it's a putting to death. So I will say that the, as it has been for me over the last few months, these next two weeks, they will be pretty deep and difficult. But it is not, it is with, it is with deep pain and tremendous difficulty and occasional defeat as we, as we crucify our flesh, putting it to death, the passions and desires, tremendous difficulty, deep pain, but ultimate victory. It lies beyond the excruciating crucifixion of our passions and desires. We have to go through that. You don't get away from that. Crucifixion is something you walk towards and you go through. 
to put it in terms of one of my kids' favorite books, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. The book goes, you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you've got to go through it. So we'll split this topic in over the next two weeks. This week we'll look at the why. Why do we crucify our flesh? What is that? What's the motivation? What's the point? What's the goal? Why are we doing this? Because it's so painful. Crucifixion is not enjoyable. It's not fun. It feels awful. It's very painful. So we need to understand why. We need to have our motivation set and correct if we're to have any hope of valuing it, of actually sticking it out, of enduring through the pain and difficulty of it. And the next week, we'll look at how, very, very practically. So the idea of the motivation this week and the means next week. So let's talk about the motivation for crucifying our flesh. It's very simple on one hand, the, the reason that we sin, the reason that we do things that are displeasing to the Lord, that are not in accordance with His will or His word, is because we, we want to. Our, our motivation is incorrect. We want to sin more than we don't. We want what, how it feels more than we don't. Our, our vision is cut short. It's not long enough. It's not big enough. It's not correct. And so we sin. We do things that are wrong. A motivation is everything. The why of what you do is everything. If you think incorrectly, but if you think that's the way you behave, that's, that's why trying to just fight your behavior is insufficient. It's not enough. If you don't actually crucify your flesh with its passions and desires, those things that are underlying your behaviors, it doesn't, doesn't go well. It doesn't, it doesn't result in, in victory. So your motivation, why you do things, is everything. It's the contrast, the comparison between alternatives. It's critically important. To put it very practically, consider the choice. I mean, we make choices all of the time. All of the time. We don't even think about it. Like consciously, like, I'm going to sit down, pros and cons list. Think about your choice between broccoli and a moist chocolate chip cookie. One is healthy. One piece of broccoli is healthy, but it's disgusting. Some of you may disagree with me, but you're broken people. Uh, the other is delicious, cookies. Oh, my goodness. But they're harmful to your health. But they're not that harmful. It's one cookie. So I may choose a cookie. Maybe I choose a cookie after some broccoli, right? I balance the scales. Health, I ate more broccoli than I ate cookies. I've done more good for my body than the cookie will do harm. Maybe I've had so much good broccoli, I'll have two cookies. But I probably won't have 20. Because I have information from trusted sources like my parents or even personal experience from that time that I ate a whole sleeve of Oreos. Um, we make choices from, a, from this complex matrix of experiences, desires, both internal to us and ex, these external influences, right? And I've just given you one choice. You make these choices in the things you eat. You make choices constantly. We're not all wearing the same clothes. We made different choices that got us to the point that we're at today, and we do this all the time. We don't do it consciously most of the time, but there's information, this matrix, this complex array of all kinds of information that construct the actual reality that you experience, the things that you wear, the food that you eat, the places you go, the friends you make, everything revolves around choices made from information that you have. And choosing to 
sin, be righteous and holy and fight against sin and crucify your flesh, putting to death its passions and desires. It's no different. It's a choice. It's something that we choose to do. The behaviors that we carry out, the thoughts that we have, these are choices. And we will make choices. We will make those decisions and behave in a certain way based on the motivations, based on the information that we have, the outcomes that we want to see. And if we don't really believe that the Bible is true, if we don't really believe that heaven is real, if we don't really believe in the promises that, we make, that it makes, or maybe we don't even know the information that's there, you better believe you're going to make poor choices. Maybe you'll even think they're the right choices, but they're not. Maybe you'll even think that the pleasure that your sin would bring you would be greater than the heavenly reward. You might behave that way, even though you wouldn't speak that way. Maybe you behave that way. We can rationalize, we can even spiritualize these things as we reason them all out in our minds. But ultimately, our motivation is everything's. What we believe to actually be true that informs the decisions that we make. And this is difficult. It's impossible for an unbeliever, right? If, you're, if you haven't been brought spiritual life, if you're not a believer, if you haven't been given the Spirit of God inside you, of course, you will never choose. You have, you're incapable of making decisions that are pleasing to the Lord. But I'm really speaking to believers, those who have accepted the gospel, who have been saved from their sins, whose spiritual eyes are open. And so, but there's this conflict, this challenge, this difficulty that our spirit has been made alive, but our flesh is still dead. Right? We, we spoke about the resurrection, how in the final resurrection, both our spirit and our bodies are made alive. That's what we look forward to, but now our spirits are alive, but our flesh is still, is still dead. And so this is where the difficulty lies in our, we need, we need to see with spiritual eyes the truth, the actual truth. It's not mythical or magical, it's actually true, but the problem is we still live in a body that's dead, that has these passions and desires that need to be crucified. Our eyes cannot desire what they cannot see, our, what our flesh cannot embrace. In our flesh, we're hopelessly bent away from those things which are discerned and desired spiritually. You're not even going to want these things, righteousness and holiness, all of the things that we'll speak about that we are to do and we are to be. We won't even desire them if we're not looking with spiritual eyes first and foremost, if we're not putting to death those things in our flesh. 1 Corinthians 2.14 but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. This is what we're fighting against. This, this collection of information, of behaviors that are righteous and good and pleasing to the Lord, that to your flesh are foolish. And then there's another set of behaviors and actions which are sinful and wrong which you desire to do. You desire to feel those things. And so this is where the conflict lies, especially for the unbeliever. They have no ability to desire to behave according to what God would have them to, but even for the believer. For the unbeliever is entirely devoid of any other mechanic by which to evaluate the world. His spiritual eyes are dead, darkened. 
He's entirely dead, flesh and spirit. It's impossible for him to please God in any respect because every motivation proceeding from every action is unrighteous. But remember that the terrifying reality is that even for believers, this danger remains. That even while the spirit has been brought to life, our, spirit, our sinful flesh, it remains. It's not enforcing unrighteousness. You do not have to sin. But with every fired neuron, every switch in your brain, you are risking behavior that is displeasing to God, that displaces you from eternal reward. And did you catch that last bit, reward? This is really the the crux of our topic, the thing that we're talking about today. What's our motivation? It's a reward. But it's in contrast to salvation. We are not working for our salvation. And I, I really, I cannot overstate this point. That the, this manual effort, excruciating effort of, of holding the hammer and nails to the hands and feet of your flesh in crucifixion, it's not for your salvation, but rather for your reward in eternal life. The cross that we bear behind Christ, we bear because of the redemption that's been won for us, not for our redemption. This is made very clear in Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Matthew 16, 24 and 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. We we follow Christ through self-denial for repayment, not for redemption. This is critically important. This is in contrast to basically every other religion who will say you need to behave righteously, you need to behave according to the commands of whatever deity they're trying to bring you under. You need to behave that way in order to appease that God, in order to gain His favor. It's different with Christ. It's different with our God who dies to save us. We follow Christ with a cross, not for our redemption, but for our reward. And so this means that your, your failures, your sin, my sin, while it's condemnable and unnecessary and deeply saddening at every level, it does not condemn you anymore. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're covered by the blood of Christ. But when you, when you sin, when you give in to those fleshly desires, you are flushing away eternal rewards. Don't do that. Your soul is not forfeit, but your rewards are. And again, this is, this is tremendous. This is, this is not what the rest of the world's religions will, will teach. This is in strict contrast to them, that the victory over our sin, the coming alive of our spirit, our redemption is won by God, by His death on the cross, and our following Him 
doesn't add to it, it doesn't secure it any more strongly, but we're talking about heavenly rewards. So I want you to think about this in, in light of, like, have you ever doubted your salvation? Good. Hell is too terrible to take heaven as your home for granted. And have you ever doubted, maybe specifically after a, after a particularly terrible sin? Good. The wrath of God comes against the world for, for sin. And we ought not take for granted our forgiveness. But have you ever doubted, due to a lapse in devotion or desire for Christ and the disciplines of godliness? Good. The heart of the redeemed is, is love for Christ. But have you ever thought that the cure for these doubts was from some sort of salve of, of your own efforts? More Bible reading, more prayer, punishing yourself in some way? How dare you? This is not what saves us. This is not what secures us. Our efforts do not save us. Only Christ's blood saves us and redeems us and secures our salvation. Your efforts do not. And this is tremendously freeing for us to never be looking introspectively at securing our own salvation. It should terrify us. It should cause us to tremble. But at every level, it's turning to Christ for His forgiveness, for what He did on the cross, not our own devotion, not our own righteousness. We look to those efforts for our reward, not our redemption. And so there is room for considering your place as a believer. You should love the Lord. You should desire. If you, are a, if you have a new root the tree should bring forth good fruit. You need to think about those things. But it is not your efforts and devotion and righteousness which secures your place in heaven. That is only by the blood of Christ. And so in your effort, you are not looking to secure your salvation. You're looking to grab a hold of it for a richer eternity. Grappling with these, they can be seen maybe as, as nuances. They're necessary and they'll serve you so well in your life. As you wrestle, maybe, with assurance of salvation or those who do wrestle, legalism and maybe looking into different false religions. Because the Christian life, it is. It's filled with effort and work and diligence. This crucifying of the flesh is painful. But it does not save you in any respect. And yet it is undeniably necessary and inexplicably worth it. So let's go back to Galatians, kind of the, the context of our initial verse, Galatians 5. It's part of a, a plea that Paul is making to the Galatians to live in freedom that was otherwise unattainable and actually undesirable. They didn't want it. Galatians 5, starting in verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. 
For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The idea here that your works in the law, these efforts that you make, while it's good to be righteous, this righteousness, this obedience, this adherence to the law is not what saves you. It's not worth anything if you think that by these behaviors... You're adding anything to the sacrifice of Christ. You are not. So it is good, but unless it is good as a Christian, good as someone who is underneath the sacrifice of Christ, covered by His blood, it's of no value to you. And so when Paul is looking at the Galatians, he's he's saying, you're a a Christian, what are you doing? Why are you behaving this way? Why are you thinking that by these behaviors, these things that you're doing, that you would be able to add anything to your salvation? You are not. Continuing on in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the things that we're talking about, these behaviors which come from a root of the passions and desires that exist in your flesh. They exist in your flesh as a believer right now. This is what we're trying to crucify is the desires that result in these types of behaviors. These are things that we ought not to do. We must not do. These are not the fruits that come from believers. Believers don't behave this way. They don't desire these things. Because they're Christians, they've been brought back to life. But, but understand that these, like, do you struggle with some of these things? At every level, this is, this is where your flesh is going to try and get a foothold in your life to get you to behave in ways that are displeasing to the Lord. But understand that this is a fight against your eternal reward, not your redemption. That's been one in Christ. It's this idea of the law. We don't follow the law. We don't go against these things in order to redeem ourselves, in order to try and appease or make sacrifice so that the Lord would look at us and acquit us of sin. That won't work. That doesn't happen. That only happens in Christ. But once we're in Christ, these behaviors become disgusting to us. And yet our flesh remains, and so we must behave, fighting against these things, crucifying these things. And you will find that it is not easy. You will find that it's very difficult. It is a crucifixion. And yet it is necessary. And and through that crucifixion of putting to death the deeds of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, you are earning eternal rewards because only in the power of the Spirit can you do this. Only because because you are a believer, you do this. Prior to Christ, we had no ability to resist, but now we do. So why would we bend the knee to these things? Well, it's because we don't believe that the effort to resist and deny these things has any real reward. 
It's all about your motivation. You need to be motivated. You need to understand what's at stake in crucifying your flesh or you will not do it. Galatians 5, continuing on, Galatians 5, this is the contrast. Galatians 5, 22 through 26, you know these ones. But the fruit of the Spirit, the things in contrast to the fruits of the flesh, things we just mentioned, the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then the verse that I read at the beginning, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Do you wrestle? Do you struggle? Is it hard to bear these fruits? Of course it is. You still have the flesh. You still desire wrong things. It's why we must be active in the crucifixion of it. We must put it to death so that we are able, by God's power, through the Spirit, to bear love, joy, peace, patience, all of these things. These are the fruits of the Spirit. These, they're the fruit, that harvest that we are working towards, that we we benefit from for all of eternity. That's the contrast, the fruits of the flesh, the fruits of the Spirit. They cannot coexist. You will either bear the fruits of the flesh or the fruits of the Spirit will grow in their place. It's one tree, and you need to bear the fruits of the Spirit. You can. An unbeliever cannot. And what is the, what is the reward? If it's not redemption, what is it? We've talked about this. Galatians 5 is actually setting the stage for Galatians 6, where Paul actually, he's, gonna, he's just going to lay it out for us. Why bear the fruits of the Spirit? Why crucify the flesh? Why this work of sowing of, of fruits? Galatians 6, 8 and 9. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And that's, that's the temptation, the risk at every moment is to say, enough, I'm, I'm done. I'm weary. Do, the, Paul puts this here because he knows our propensity to say, enough, I'm, I'm too tired. No more good deeds for me today. No more fruit of the Spirit. I cannot fight my anger. I cannot fight my jealousy. I cannot fight my lusts. Enough. He says, do not grow weary, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. And he mentions, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And if we don't have the context, it would be risky to think, oh boy, I need to bear the fruits of the Spirit or I go to hell. But in the context, we see that it is Christ who saves us. And the fruit we bear, this idea of eternal life, is an idea of richness, right? You can have a life, but it's not that great. Or you can have a life where you have an abundance, where you have plenty, where you have a rich harvest, and you have no want, no need, and that's the idea here, that when we sow, we have lots. Our barns are full, and they are full forever in eternity. And that is the effort, that is the 
work that we are putting in, in the crucifixion of our flesh, and in bearing the fruits of the Spirit that we are gaining for ourselves a rich eternity. So it is in some mysterious way the, the life of eternal living is bound up in our efforts while we live. The idea is, is the eternal richness and rest, the sweetness and delight of every single eternal day, unending. It's filled with the harvest of the work that we've put in in bearing the fruits of the Spirit during our mortal life. This is made very clear again in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You don't lay a foundation of your good works and say, I stand on my good works and that's how I get into heaven. There's one foundation and it's Jesus Christ. But I hope we don't make it into heaven with naught but a foundation. Verse 12, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones or wood, hay and straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. We have the foundation of salvation that's been laid, and our lives are building upon that, bearing the fruits of the Spirit with gold and silver, precious stones, not wood, hay, and straw, but gold, silver, precious stones, using the material, the fruits of the Spirit, crucifying the flesh, saying no to those things which are contrary to the will of Christ because we're looking forward to an eternal reward and say, I want to build forever. I have faith in heaven. I actually believe it. It's, it's true. It's right there on the other side of my life, and I will spend my life in the power of the Spirit because I can, because I'm redeemed, because I have the Spirit of God inside me to every day, moment by moment, build with gold and silver and precious stones so that I will receive a reward. Foundation, it's salvation. But the eternal future that we choose to build upon that foundation, it's in, the, in, a, in a very real and practical sense. It's up to our faith-filled, spirit-empowered efforts. Each moment that we choose the screams of death in our flesh we're adding another pigment of vibrancy to our eternal lives. We believe in heaven, and so we choose earthly pain and discomfort that we might enjoy a richer eternity. And really, how could any sane believer choose any differently? Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, listen to this. So I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of their hardness of heart. For they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard 
Him and have been taught in Him just as the truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The two things that are contrasted are not both good and one just lasts longer. Living according to your fleshly desires is actual death. It's awful, but you're enslaved to it. You're corrupt. And when the Spirit of God brings you to life and awakens you, it is, a, it is an effort that while it is difficult, while it is painful, it's actually worth it. It's actually better. It's better for you now and it's better for you for eternity. It's accordance with God's design, both as you as a, as a physical human being, but also for you as an eternal being. We're deceived. We're blinded. It's why we give in to these fleshly desires. They need to be crucified. They're not good for us in any way. Not for believers, not for unbelievers. But only in Christ do we have the ability, only in the awakening, only in the realization of His truth, the words that He has given to us, do we have the ability to actually fight against it. And as Christians, we know better. We have the ability to think differently, to believe and desire differently, to be motivated by heaven, to be motivated by eternal rewards. We're no longer slaves to ourselves. We are free and thus equipped to do actual, real good, a good that bears fruit forever. 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. We have so much to do in our lives as believers, and it is painful, difficult work, but it is worth it. So in conclusion for our time today, I want you to think, I want you to think deeply about what you want and how you plan to get it. I want you to dig down deeply into your hearts and the motivations that lie at the core of your person, of you. And if the root is redeemed, if you are a believer, a Christian, you need to be bearing the fruits of the Spirit. You need to plan on it. You need to look longer than just 5, 10, 15, 50 years down the road. You need to look towards heaven, towards eternity, towards where you will be forever. I, I want you to enjoy a rich eternity. I want you to please the Lord. I, I've thought deeply about these things myself. I, I've wrestled with these things, and I, I still do, like, especially as you know these things, and yet sin, you, you, you're grieved over those things. Because you know that you have not pleased the Lord and you have forfeit eternal rewards. You need to be growing accustomed to the screams of your feelings and emotions as they die. This is not a popular message. It's not a message that you're going to necessarily even want to believe. But you need to grow accustomed to saying no to yourself. No to the things that you want if they do not want to bear the fruits of the Spirit. If they are self-centered, self-seeking, not eternally minded. You need to be able to identify those things and work them out in your mind. And you need to get used 
to the sounds of the screams of your flesh as it's crucified. Because if your flesh is satisfied, your soul will languish. The death of our flesh is for the richness of our eternal lives. The pain of denying ourselves and serving Christ is worth it. It's worth it beyond belief. And we need to know that. It needs to motivate us so that we do not sell a vibrant eternity for moments of sin. This is, this is set very clearly uh, and helpfully in Hebrews 12, 16 through 17, this idea of contrast, of sacrificing a rich eternity with moments of pleasure. This, Hebrews 12, 16 through 17, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. This idea of Esau had the birthright, I mean, an incredible birthright, part of the lineage of Christ, the chosen people of God, but he was hungry. He had fleshly, natural desires. And there was a meal that was available to him. And his tricky brother Jacob was like, ha-ha, my brother is hungry, I'll sell this little meal and I'll get the whole birthright. I mean, it's a terrible deal. But Esau was so hungry. And so he sold his birthright for a single meal. What an idiot. But we do this all the time, do we not? when we don't value eternity, when we don't think how long it actually is, how rich those rewards are, we take moments of anger, months of jealousy, all of the sins that we commit, the wicked things we do and allow ourselves, we are selling our birthright, the richness of heaven for moments, a single meal. Why would we do that? As believers, we ought to weep bitterly over our sin, for its consequences, not unto damnation. If we are believers, there's no condemnation. But we should weep for its theft of a greater eternal life. The cost, it's so great. The displeasure to our Savior, it's so deep. And it's all so unnecessary. With the power of Christ, it lies so close. We do not need to sin. The way of escape, it's accessible. We must go through it. We must crucify our flesh, but we can because we are saved. And so that is the motivation, our eternal rewards. And so we press forward, press towards the crucifixion of our flesh. And next week, we'll look practically at how we can plan and propose to build lives which are marked by the screams of our flesh painfully nailed up, bleeding and dying for a richer reward which awaits us in eternity. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for your, the power that You have made available to us through salvation. The we who deserved Your wrath, that deserved the punishment for our sin for all of eternity, that we have been saved from that by the blood of Christ, and that we are now given lives equipped and redeemed 
to store up for ourselves, not treasures in, on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but in heaven. I pray that our hearts would be there, that we would think about those things, that as we crucify our flesh, we say no to ourselves, and yes, by the power of your Spirit, the truth of your Word, that we would store up for ourselves treasures on earth. It would be pleasing to you because it is equipped by you, enabled by you, that we would seek because you are our Savior to please you. These things we do not deserve, that we have not earned, that we are incapable and of ourselves to achieve, that you would work all this for your glory, for our good, that you would do this for these, my friends, for myself. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.